Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Schwartz from the LSAT blog. And I'm Graham Blake from LSAT Hacks. And today we're doing a special episode focused on how to structure your studying over a two-month period. We had this idea based on the fact that we're now about two months out from the June LSAT, and we thought we'd lay out some study plan ideas for all of you who are planning on taking that. And of course, if you're going for July, you can slightly extend it. So I've done a lot with study plans over the years. I've created week-by-week ones and then day-by-day ones, and people always want more specifics. And so I thought I would just lay out something general for everyone, some ideas about how you could think about structuring your studying, and then, of course, Graham will offer his thoughts and we'll take it from there. So for study plans, I typically recommend breaking it down to three parts. The first part is accuracy, where you work untimed. The second part is pacing, where you introduce timing with individual sections with the 35 minute timing. Then finally, endurance with the full five section experience, three sections back to back, short break, then two more sections back to back. And so you wanna hit each of those parts over the course of your studying in that order. I don't recommend taking a diagnostic. I recommend jumping in, giving yourself the chance to learn it under untimed conditions, and then gradually introduce timing. And of course, I'll cover more specifics, but I just wanted to stop there and ask you, Graham, what what you thought of that so far. Yeah, I think that's a a valid approach. So, sorry, could you repeat the three top-level things? It was like timing, then, or no, sorry, accuracy, then... Yeah, so accuracy, which is untimed, then pacing, which is individual timed sections, and then endurance, which is the full five-section experience. Yeah, I think that is a good progression um, because one thing that, you know, I differ in that I do think people should do timing earlier on, but the pitfall of timing is like, you know, if you need 45 minutes to do a section, you're giving yourself 35, you can just be a total jumbled mess and you're you're doing like basically nothing productive. Um, and it's better to just go slow, learn how to get things right and be accurate and then progress to the rest. And I, I like the idea of ending with endurance where, you know, else that's a long thing and you need to be able to practice doing that. Yeah. Thanks for that, Graham. I, I think that one common pitfall of introducing timing too early is that you fall into this churn and burn approach where we end up with like what we were discussing on our last episode where we have students who've done every exam ever released and didn't really improve much, if at all. And I think that's because they they skipped ahead to endurance and pacing when they should have started with accuracy first, really giving yourself the chance to work through the problems untimed. And so this is kind of the overall structure that I use for all my study plans, both the free week-by-week ones and the day-by-day ones. And then to get more specific on this, There's the three sections, of course. There's games, reasoning, and reading comp. And so I recommend starting off with games because as as we've discussed, it's the lowest hanging fruit, seems the most intimidating at first, but it is really the most learnable and most perfectible. So I start with games, doing an overview of each of the major game types untimed, then pull it all together with individual timed games sections, then do the same with the different LR question types, the same with reading comp. And I don't recommend introducing timing too early, but I also do think there is a place to do timed sections and timed exams in the at least the, the first third of your study a little bit because you don't want to wait until the last month to do timed exams. Oh, okay. That's interesting then. How exactly do they do that then? Like, uh, so the first third, if you're in a two-month period, that's eight weeks. That'd be, well, like the first two to three weeks. Uh, what, what sort of yeah, timing so I- would you recommend? 
That's a great question. So actually, I don't have the study plans in front of me. I just wanted to talk more casually here. But my idea is that we'd have, let's say, over an eight-week period, which is about two months, you could do something like two weeks focused on games, two focused on LR, two focused on reading comp, and then two focused on timed exams. Obviously, there has to be a bit of mixing within this because you don't want to suddenly introduce reading comp only at week five. You want to have some exposure to it earlier. And so I'd recommend a little bit of mixing and matching to gain some exposure. But I would recommend having different segments focused on different question types and different sections. And timing, like you said, you'd recommend some timing. Would that be like a timed section of games at some point? Or like how how does that fit in? It's a great question. Ultimately, what I offer is a framework. Students are always going to have to adapt it to their own particular situation. But I'd imagine that perhaps their first two weeks are focused on games. And because games are first, you could wait until the two-week mark to actually do several timed game sections. Maybe you do one or two random ones earlier just if you feel, feel like you want to get that experience. But I wouldn't really view the results of those timed sections as being indicative of, of anything if you haven't thoroughly covered the various types of logic games. And then if you feel like reading comp or logical reasoning might be a problem area, you can also flip around the order in which you do this, and you could also cycle in a few sections of that earlier as well. Yeah. And so when you're cycling in like reading comp or LR, when you're doing games focus, would you just like do a bit of on-timed work, like looking at them, but it's not your focus of your two weeks? Exactly. Exactly. And I would certainly recommend doing some untimed work first because the t results of timed work without having built the foundation, it's always going to be discouraging and nobody wants or needs that. I don't think it's useful. Mm -hmm. I've, I have heard the argument where people will say, well, you should do an untimed diagnostic so that later you can feel good about how much progress you've made. And maybe that works for some people, but my, but my inclination is more just that people measure themselves against the numbers that they end up delivering on. And those numbers are usually not good if you haven't built the foundation yet. So that's why I personally don't recommend it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely like, I think an important question actually is asking yourself, what kind of person am I in this respect? Because I think for some people, like just seeing the initial low score would just be brutal. And then for other people, if you end up with something where like your first time test, like, I don't know if you do a time test, like four weeks in and you get like a 158 and then eight weeks in, you're at like 160. You might be like, I've only improved two points. This is horrible. And so you got to ask yourself, like, what, which pain do I like to avoid? Uh, <laughs> am I the sort of person that will feel better knowing that I've made progress? Or am I the sort of person that will feel better avoiding seeing the worst and only seeing a result when I'm somewhat more prepared? That's a great point. I do think you have to know what your motivations are, what, what sort of things tend to drive you. But I also feel like even without taking a cold diagnostic, you'll know if you don't know something. Like I remember when I, the first several times I looked at logic games, I just knew that I could not do them. And I didn't need to actually do a timed section to tell myself that. I couldn't even do them untimed. So I, you, you kind of know when you understand something to, to a decent extent versus when you don't. And you also know which question types you, you look forward to doing versus those that you really want to stay away from because you know the results are not going to be good. Yeah. Okay. So let's get back to the study plan. So like what, let's give people a view of like how you generally recommend things. So you said like say games, reasoning, reading comp in like say two week intervals and then maybe a mix at the end and with a general format of accuracy, then pacing, then endurance. 
Uh, is there any other like specifics or tools or like things that you would give people when they're like trying to implement this study plan? Yeah, there are a number of other things I'd recommend. So there's also, we can talk, that's, that's like the overview, but then even within a week or within a day, we can think about how you want to block off that time. One of my favorite books is a deep work by Cal Newport. And he talks about two different ways you can actually get stuff done with while avoiding distractions. And one of them is to go into monk mode where you kind of go away for a few weeks and do nothing but LSAT all the time. That's not really practical for most people. The alternative is you block off hour, chunks of several hours in your calendar. You could even use Google Calendar, block off like maybe a five-hour period on a Saturday or a two-hour period on a weekday evening. And so you carve out that time specifically for studying. You can also carve out before work, during lunch, after work. And this is all just fitting in the time, of course, but I think it's something important to consider. On, aside from LSAT content, a few other things I recommend incorporating into your daily and weekly routine would be mindfulness meditation of some sort, also possibly some some form of exercise, maybe yoga if you're into that because of the mindfulness connection, and then also just carving out time for relaxation, getting outdoors a bit, and leisure as well because you don't want to burn out. And then also one more thing I should add as well is also days off. You shouldn't study seven days a week. You definitely want to take off a, a day or two every week. Yeah, all good, all good elements in a study approach. And then what do people do? Like, I'm, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast have already been studying in some way. But let's say someone is listening to this and just like, all right, I want a two-month study plan. What do I do? Um, what do they need? Like, what uh, prep tests, what resources on your site could they use, for example, that you can incorporate into it? Like, how to? what's the practicality of uh, getting this done? Yeah, sure. So I've got free week-by-week -week plans on my website. If you go to the free stuff tab at the top, click on schedules, you'll find the free ones there. Then I have the day-by-day -day plans, day -day plans, which are around 20 to 25 bucks each. And so that's a good starting point. But in terms of you know, specifics, I would say one useful thing to have is LSAT questions categorized by type for both games and reasoning. Reading comp is somewhat less important, but I've got that too. But I'd say you want to work through things in a logical progression. So rather than just doing random sections of games, it's useful to do ordering games and then do grouping games and then do games that involve elements of both that are called combination games. And so working through questions by type, by question type, and then also going from easier questions to harder ones, building up. You don't want to start with the hardest curveball game ever when you haven't even looked at or simple ordering games yet. So I would say work through questions by question type as well as by order of difficulty. And I've got categorizations on my website for games, reasoning, and reading comp. And Graham, I think you have something similar as well, right? Uh, yeah, I've got one for logical reasoning where people can find it on the start here page. There's like a LSAT questions by type where I've got logical reasoning ones organized by type plus the explanations. That's great. Yeah, I think I think for logical reasoning, it's really that's really the area where it's most useful to do things by type. And I don't want to say that you should only do by type because by section is important as well. But I think the LSAT has so many question types and so many sections that it can really seem overwhelming when you're just jumping in cold to a section. And so I recommend instead use the categorizations that we have. We've done the homework. We've laid it out for you so that you can go in a logical progression going from easier to harder and it can bring a little bit more clarity to what can be a really confusing situation. And uh, these resources you mentioned, like these ordering things are on your site, are they linked in the study plans or where can people go to find like what they'll need for the, the study period? Oh, thanks. Thanks, Graham. So yeah, so they're linked within the study plans 
And then I also have on my site under the free stuff tab, there's a, a page that's a link that's spreadsheets, data, categorizations, where I kind of put all that meta level stuff. And so if you click the spreadsheets data categorizations link, you'll then see all my games categorizations, reasoning and reading comp as well. And do people have to be online to do this or if they want to work offline, is there like a PDF they can get or buy or anything of that nature or print? That's a great question. I mean, they, they could print it out. I'd say that's probably the easiest thing. Just just print the relevant page on my site. I probably should make a PDF at some point. That's a good idea. But for now, just print it out. Yeah, I feel like it could be a good idea, like a sort of LSAT blog study schedule companion that just groups all the stuff mentioned in the schedule in the order in which it's mentioned. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, okay, so basically someone can go to your site, get one of these free schedules or a daily one if they want to pay for that, and... Um, get some LSAT prep tests, and then they basically just got guides to go through roughly what they should do. And it's like a bit modifiable, right? So if they just want to do RC first, then they can just switch the RC stuff earlier. Yeah, so much of this is meant to be customized. It's, it's a general overview of what to do, but you're going to want to personalize it to your situation, both in terms of weak areas you might want to focus on more than others, as well as just your particular life like what what's your schedule like with your other obligations you know the schedule is more important for the level of specificity it contains about what to do than the particular day-by-day breakdown so some people will do two or three days in one day maybe on a weekend and then do less over the course of the week and that's totally fine the specificity about what to do with the various links to things on my site and elsewhere that's really what i think and as well as this actual specific problems to complete from the various LSAT prep tests so i'll tell you read this article on my site, read these pages in this book, and then do these specific LSAT problems from, let's say, exams 62 to 71 or 52 to 61. By the way, Graham, I remember you asked about which exams to use. I would suggest starting with one of the more recent books of 10. That could be either 52 to 61 or 62 to 71. And then you could save the newest handful in the 80s for your full-length timed exam work closer to test day. Yeah. Which actually, uh, I'm sure this isn't a study plan, but how many timed exams do you recommend in this two-month period? I Over a two-month period, that's a good question. I'd pr- I, mean, I Honestly, for anybody, I would recommend doing at least 10. I think it's really important to build the pacing and the endurance aside from just the accuracy portion. So that brings us to an issue over an eight-week period because, of course, that's 10 exams. That's more than one per week. And so maybe I would reduce it a little bit to maybe doing six to eight exams. But this also brings me back to my ultimate point, which is I would not recommend only studying for the LSAT over a two-month period. We're discussing this as if someone only had two months to study. But in reality, let's say someone's listening in April going for June. Hopefully, this isn't your first exposure to the LSAT. Maybe you've been studying for a while. And if you have been studying for a while, then that would be a different story. And you could maybe skip some of the foundational accuracy stuff and instead move on to the pacing and endurance. Yeah, that raises a good point. Uh, How can people modify this study plan uh either in the case of you know they have been studying so like which bit should they still do nonetheless which shouldn't they or in the case of like they're doing it and like they feel things aren't working in some way uh in which ways can people modify and troubleshoot it well i'd say if you've already been studying for a bit already then maybe you are strong in certain areas and so you don't need to do as much foundational work for accuracy so let's say Maybe ordering games are a breeze or, you know, relative ordering in, in particular is easy or maybe strengthening or necessary assumption questions are easy for you. And so you don't need to spend as much time on those. 
Instead, you could spend more time on your week areas. And so I would just say, maybe get, I haven't, I have an eight week plan on my site, but if you already have been studying for a bit, you could instead get the 12 week plan and then skip the weeks devoted to work that you've already done. Fair enough. And then what about someone's doing it and they're not like, how do they tell if it's working or if they're not getting the results they should be getting and what should they do if they're not? Well, it's, it's simple. It's, I would say it's really based on how many questions are you getting right without trouble? How many questions are you confidently choosing the correct answer even on multiple attempts? So if you're getting more things right, then obviously what you're doing is working. If your scores are staying the same and your accuracy rate is not budging at all, then you've got to do something differently. And maybe that means that you need an additional resource of some kind. Like maybe you need to make more use of explanations or maybe you need another textbook-like material. Makes sense. Um, oh, actually... I, I might have got your study plan wrong. I had said like LG two weeks, LR two weeks, RC two weeks, but um, is that actually what your plan is called for? Because it occurs to me that if you do that, then like you're you're well into like pacing and endurance territory. So how do you mesh together like the different subjects versus the uh, like the, the, the skills? That's a great pacing? question. So let's say you do two weeks with a primary focus on games, although you might cycle in some LR and RC as well into the mix just to change it up a little bit. Once you've hit week three, you're then doing timed games work exclusively. You don't need to do games untimed anymore unless you feel a need to. And then you can instead focus, You then week three would be a mix of learning the basics of the logical reasoning while also cycling in timed logic games work. Gotcha. And then by uh, week five or whatever, you're starting to do RC, but you're also cycling in LR and LG. Time. Yeah, so you're still doing timed LG and all work in the reading comp weeks. And everything is a mix, of course. You don't want to neglect any one area for too long. These we are just where I'm delineating the focus of that of those weeks. Okay. Um anything else people should know about your study plans or about your view of like studying for two weeks or I said two months? I think that's I think we covered the basics of it. I'm sure we'll get into more as as we go on, but I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on study plans, Graham. So I've got uh, some similarity, some difference. Um, two things people should know about like my own view on things when assessing this are like one, I'm definitely the type that likes to measure a starting point and then see how I do. So like I said, you got to know what type of person you are. Some people just really don't want to measure at the start. And so you might just want to avoid totally demotivating yourself by doing a time test. But personally... I would strongly recommend a time test because basically it's like your one chance to see where you're at. And it also gives you a feeling for what the timing is like, even though you're not going to be able to do everything as well as you will later. It helps show you that there's a difference between like an untimed problem that you can get right versus that same problem timed where a lot of the traps on the LSAT are actually only come into play when timing is a factor and so if you do it on timed you can be missing a large chunk of the question but think you get it and then because a lot of people write into me and they say one of two things one is like they'll say they've gotten uh some like LSAT books from like good companies like good books good companies and they read them cover to cover for like three months and then they tried practice tests and like nothing improved and basically, they had, like, no timing in for three months. And I know that's not what you're recommending, Steve. Um, but basically, if you are just doing the questions, like, devoid of timing, what can happen is you think you're learning 
but actually you're not learning like the thing you need to learn, which is like timed skill or applying the things you're reading in a time setting. So I think a mix of both is important. And so getting that experience by taking a time test is important. Actually, I, I can't remember what the other thing was, but I think the main thing is just that it gives you a baseline so that you are able to see your progress later. And it lets you see what a timed LSAT is like so that when you're studying about things and doing untimed work, you know what kinds of things are out there. And um, because once you do that time diagnostic, you'll also be able to look over it and do it on time and start to see, oh, I can do this question with more time, um, but I can't do it. Oh, that reminds me of the other thing, actually. The other thing is that people always say to me is like, they're like, well, I understand the LSAT, but I just have a timing issue. And I find this happens with people that do a lot of on-time work, like it, or it, it can happen. And basically, nobody has a timing issue. It's just a skill issue. Um, the better you are, the faster you are. But if you do a lot of on-time work and get really good results, you can get the false sense that you're getting like 100% of the questions when really you only understand like 60% or so. And when time is in, that 40% that you're missing is out. So I think having some sort of timed work is good to have throughout just to keep you honest, but it doesn't, it shouldn't be the focus. So I like a time diagnostic at the start. And then um, I agree that like two months is like a pretty short study period because like normally I would agree that like 10 or more prep tests is good. But doing more than one prep test a week also tends to be excessive. Um, like you, people tend to get worse results if they do too many prep tests. So just in eight weeks, what I might recommend is maybe doing some timed sections for the first couple of weeks, just as like, you know, you're, this is seeing what this same thing is like timed and then work time week section time tests in from about week two or three, like end of week two. Um, the other possibility, if like, because, you know, if you're someone that's like starting about 160, it's very different if you're starting from someone about 140. If you're starting about 160, you can just do timing from the start. Like it probably won't throw you off too much. If you're starting 140 and you just try and do everything in 35 minutes, it might just make it completely useless. And so a modified thing you can do in the first couple of weeks, if you're starting from a lower base is just time yourself, but give yourself extra time. So maybe, you know, you do 43 minutes or 41 minutes or something. So there's still, you get that feeling of time pressure, but you're still, you're not going so fast that you've just like lost all form. So that's my rough view on timing, but I would, I would try and start with a time diagnostic. Um, and I don't think an on-time diet, like people sometimes say an on-time diagnostic source. I think doing something on time can like teach you stuff about the test, but I wouldn't rely on the score. So that's how it would start. Oh, what, sorry, so it sounds like it sounds like it sounds like we're in agreement on the fact that both untimed and timed work is valuable. Oh yeah, I think and so. And that and we also agree that t some sort of timing should be introduced fairly early in order to get a sense of how the exam experience differs from doing it untimed. I think the one area and this is just our inclinations are different where like I I would be discouraged by a low diagnostic and I was and you say that it could be it could be fuel or at least give you a measuring point. And so I think we would both agree that it might just based on be based on what the student's inclination is and what the student's personality is like, how yeah. it might affect them. Yeah, and I feel this may be like innate because you know it's easy for me to say like oh keep your ego out of it and like don't like take the LSAT results personally. They're not your final measure, but that's just how I am. Like no matter what I do, even if it's the, like there's things that I'm great at, there's things that I'm terrible at. And no matter what it is, like, I never really get bothered by a low measure. That's just me. And so it's easy for me to say, like, do like me. But, you know, uh, there are different ways of thinking in this world. And obviously, some people, like, do get affected by a low measure, yet also do well at things. So, like, it's not like, I don't know, 
you may not just be able to like ignore how your brain works and ignore low measure. Um, so again, know thyself and like see what you think. But yeah, I think I think we are roughly in agreement on timing. Um, oh, I envy you on that, man. Because yeah, it's um for <laughs> for for some folks, it can be really discouraging when the the ego gets wrapped up in it. You know, you think of this as being like your IQ, and so it's like, oh man, like I thought I was gonna go to law school, and then it turns out I'm an idiot. What do I do now? And it's like, <laughs> you you can learn this. That's why I always tell people think of it more like a foreign language where you have to learn the language of the LSAT. Yeah, definitely. Of course, you know, once you get the language instruction, you get the same issues where some people are just too embarrassed to speak and others are like, I don't care if I'm bad. So <laughs> I think like, I think it is good to like work towards thinking like my ego is not into it and, and use things like yeah, it's a foreign language or whatever to get yourself around it um, because ultimately you do have to get there. But I don't know, people just have different inclinations and for some, this is a thing to work over. For some, it's like, it's not, I guess. Because, you know, I was good at the LSAT when I did it. So you might think, like, oh, well, he's just not worried about it because he was good at it. But, like, trust me, I'm terrible at a lot of stuff. And I also, like, doesn't bug me. Like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like a natural stoic or something. And I don't know. Useful. <laughs> it's very cool. You've gotten where people need years of meditation to get to you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so... so Maybe we should give people a concrete answer on this. So the two, uh, the question of how many timed exams. So if we've got eight weeks, we're saying max one per week because more than that could lead to burnout or be diminishing marginal returns. I, I threw out there maybe six to eight exams total over an eight-week period. What would you say? That's about where I landed, yeah. Six to eight. Okay. And then doing time much. sections during the week. Yeah. So like that doesn't mean that you're only doing six to eight timed sections it just means that's your like full time test and you know doing a time if you do like five time sections on different days and add them together or sorry four um then it's not exactly the score you would get but it's probably like somewhat close unless you have a big endurance issue right that could definitely give you a decent indication of at least what your performance is like on that or would have been on that had it been a separate exam yeah I, like, I would say you're getting like 90% of the value out of doing a time test from doing a time section. There's still value to get from doing the whole time test, but you're getting a lot of it from just doing time sections and you can do like one of those a day or something like that. Yeah. How do you feel about this idea I raised of having certain weeks have a primary focus on one section? Would you recommend that or do you like just a, a even mix of everything? I think focus should shift. I don't necessarily, I mean, hmm. I probably would have a similar thing, actually. Like, I think people should probably start with logic games and conditional reasoning, and they could choose which one to do, but just those are the easiest ones to learn. Um, And then I think you should keep drilling those skills, but then move on to other things. I made a list of, like, basic skills I think people should learn. Um. And so I would add these into your study plan. I don't have like a study plan like Steve, so I don't have like a set place you can go. I mean, like I have a course that I can sell, that I sell, which you can use. But if you're not looking for a course, these are the skills that I think people should learn. I'll give you some places on my site and elsewhere that you could uh, get them. One would be like just basic games diagrams. So a way to learn this would be to do a few sections of games, either with time or without. And then you look at the explanations on my site for those tests where I've just got diagrams for them and you learn how to draw them and just do this until it starts to repeat because there's not that many different games type diagrams. I mean, there's a bunch of like rare ones, but the most common ones after you do like, I don't know, 
15 games, not 15 game sections, just like 15 games, like four sections, you'll probably have seen like 85% or more of the types of games. So that's, that's one thing I recommend learning. Um, the other is for logical reasoning, the key skills are conditional reasoning as well as quantity words. So that's like sufficient and necessary, some and most, uh, and as well for conditional, like, so, you know, you need to learn like how to chain them together, the contrapositives, how to join some statements to conditionals. Um, you need to learn how to negate things for necessary assumption and you need to learn like the basic approach for each question type. And again, you can get this if you take one of my courses. If not, you can sort of reverse engineer it by going to the questions by type section that I have where I've got like uh, prep tests listed. I've got the questions by type and I've got explanations for them. So you just make yourself like a drill set of say sufficient assumption questions. Do like 10 or so of them, do them yourself, think about them, look at what I've explained and see how I did it and just read all of the explanations because I'm even if you get the question right, I'm going to say stuff like comments in passing and general comments about how to do this question type that'll like show you how to do that. So, and then the last thing is, no, the two last things are question types. Can you identify them? And then uh, conclusions and reasoning. Can you identify those? So I'd make like drills for all of those separate things. That's uh, the conditional reasoning. So you can do some conditional, like just, I have some stuff on the contrapositive on YouTube and you can find that by like Googling around um, conditional reasoning, quantity words, question types, basic approach, uh, conclusions. And you can do a drill where you just do some logical reasoning ones, identify the conclusions, and then check if you identified the same things I did to check that you're doing it right, get feedback on it and identify question types. Those are the basic logical reasoning skills I can think of. And I would like focus on doing those. And then for reading comprehension, I would focus on learning how to summarize the paragraphs. And again, you can use my explanations to get like the paragraph summaries that I have, like check your summary against mine, um, map the passage so that you know, like roughly where to look for things. And a drill you can use with this is give a passage to someone else, have them read it, you read it, then turn yours over and have them quiz you on like, you know, where's this word or where's, or no, sorry, have them quiz you on like, what's the point of paragraph three, what happens in paragraph one, then like, look at yours, have them ask like, where do they mention sea urchins, and you get to like, find the line as quickly as you can. This is like testing your skill of like knowing where the information is. And you also want to drill like identifying key structural words like thus, therefore, nonetheless, and so on, and words that indicate author's opinion, you can also do this with a friend. Um, those are like my sort of fundamental skills. I'll talk a bit about like, how to fit all those into a study plan, but I don't know. Any comments on that, Steve? Well, I thought that was a great rundown of the, of the various skills that one needs to have just to build that general foundation, coming back to focusing on accuracy first. And your explanation, I like also like what one thing you said about looking at explanations, even for the questions you got right. Because a lot of times students will get things right based on luck if they were guessing, or maybe they got it right for the wrong reason. That happens sometimes too. And so you want to make sure that you're actually getting it right for the right reason and then it wasn't just luck. And also, obviously, it's hard to articulate things for yourself, especially at first. And so the explanations can help give you the language to better understand these for yourself. Yeah. And I, I always like to use the analogy of cooking. Like, let's say the question was like, make an omelet. So, you know, I go and I cook an omelet. The equivalent of an explanation would be watching a chef cook an omelet in your kitchen and seeing what they do because you can probably succeed in cooking an omelet but you probably also will find that a chef will 
do a lot of things. You're like, oh my God, you can do that in my kitchen. That's so much better than what I was doing. Um, because they have a whole bunch of skills from like a lifetime in it and they see things that you don't see and they know little tricks that you don't know. And so even when you like achieve the basic task, there's stuff there that you don't see. And so looking at the explanations and reading like, oh, these are some key factors that he mentioned and so on will get you more to like 100% of the questions as opposed to like 75% skill level on it. Yeah, and the chef is also moving very quickly. I'm picturing like the movie Ratatouille where everything happens so fast. And it's like you have to, this explanations will break it down for you step by step and slows down to your exact skill level. Then the other thing I'm thinking is that you also need to bring it into your kitchen, not the yeah. chef's kitchen, right? Like what you're watching on TV. And so bringing it into your kitchen, I think, is when you adapt it for your own understanding, you paraphrase it and articulate it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, though my point of uh, the example of like chef in, in your kitchen is because if you watch a cooking show, you'll see stuff. But if you watch a chef in your kitchen, that's where like, you know, a thing that you thought you could do, cook an omelet in your kitchen, you'll see someone else do it better. And you're like, oh, okay, there is other stuff there to learn. Um, but yeah, you do also have to then like, you know, eventually you don't want to just rely on the explanation. You don't want to just watch the chef video. You have to actually like try and do it or even do something different, but that you know, like, gets the same result. Um, so paraphrasing, putting your own words, it's all important. Um, so how I would use these over like a two month study plan is those are the things you have to learn. Start with a section that like you sort of feel the most excited about or that you feel you most need to work on. Um, so by excited about maybe like, oh, this is going to be fun to learn. Um, or if it's like, you know, logic games is a disaster and I want to fix this, then that's a good place to start too. Um, and I would err on the side of logic games and logical reasoning, just because even if you are the worst at reading comp, it's just going to be harder to improve there um, in 90% of the cases. So I would improve the ones that are easy to improve, which are games and those conditional reasoning. But so how I would do it is I would like do one of those drills that I mentioned, um, add some time work into the mix as well, depending on what's happening. So, you know, if that's games, that's easy. You just do a game section timed. Um, if you're drilling, say, sufficient assumption questions, it's a little bit harder because you can just you can do some questions, but you can't find an exactly right time limit if you're doing just 10 random sufficient assumption questions because the, the sections are scaled for a whole section of time and not just like some questions are harder than others. But you could just give yourself like a minute and a half or something on each question or a minute 40 like it. I don't care about the time being too exact. I just like there being like some time pressure at least on maybe not the first time you do one of these drill sets, but maybe the second time you do a drill set with sufficient assumption, um, some sort of time pressure. So you're, you're working on that after you've already drilled it once and reviewed it and so on. Um, but work some time pressure in and some on time work and then drill each of these things. And then what I think you should do as you're doing these drills is make a note of things you get wrong or questions that you struggled with and flag those to like look back at again in a day or two, almost like flashcards. I think people should sort of have a notebook and constantly be looking back at things that gave them trouble and just do it again and again until you feel like you could explain it to someone else. Um, and that's how you really build the mastery. So in other words, you maybe start your study plan from a more definite point of view where it's like, all right, I'm just doing games diagrams right now. But as you go, you're going to be building up a catalog of like, these are the things I need to work on. And so by like weeks three and four, you'll be reviewing some certain types of games, diagrams, um, 
and redoing those and maybe doing a few more games of that specific type and so on to like keep working on the weaknesses. Agreed. Yeah. I think the beginning is going to be somewhat fixed depending on where you start as you learn the basics in games or reasoning. I agree that reading comp should be saved for later because it's harder to improve on. And then, but as you progress and you start identifying weak areas, you're going to want to carve out some time in your study schedule to focus on specifically the things that give you trouble. And maybe it's a question type or maybe it's a method of reasoning, but you're going to want to have that list set aside and that list will be ever growing of things that you've ever gotten wrong, even just once. And maybe it can become, it can become dozens of questions if you're depending on how many you're doing. And I would recommend revisiting those, photocopy them, or make some sort of flashcards type system, as, as Graham said, so that you can re-review and redo these again and again and again until you're getting them right on every attempt. Yeah. And so I would say your first four weeks should be sort of more foundational or like could be two or three, but basically just you start with those drills that I'm talking about, but as you get through more of the foundations, you end up ending more of a schedule where you're, say, doing like a timed section a day and reviewing that plus doing a review of your backlog. And so more of your time will be spent, or not backlog, review of your like your your past errors and hard questions. And so as you get toward, as you start, it'll be more on-timed work, but with some timing and foundational stuff. And at the end, it'll be more like, okay, I've learned the basics. Now I need to identify the specific things I need to improve at and drill. And I do timed work and keep gathering data on like where things are going wrong and where do I fix that. And uh, I also think like one day off a week and one time test a week so saturday can be a good day for a time test and then you can review it like later in the day um and then you could take sunday off or monday off because like you maybe maybe uh sunday is a good day to like review the time test and then monday you just take a break from the LSAT and do whatever yeah agreed 100 percent. and that's why i think that the the one thing you said really stuck out, stuck out to me which was the final phases of studying change a lot from the earlier phases because the later phases are focused more on your personal week areas in addition to the full-length time to exams a lot of students will ask me in the final weeks what should i be doing and the answer is ultimately going to be very personal to that student's areas of trouble and so i that's why like throughout your study process you want to save that running list of questions so that in the final weeks you can you can hone those questions that's that's really where i think the the value comes at that point because it's not going to be foundational in the final weeks it's going to be about whatever is unique to you your your struggles and to focus on them there yeah and one thing you should keep doing to that point in the final weeks is keep looking for things to drill that like maybe aren't on this you know big list of things i gave but something more specific to you it's like well i really have problems with like this particular thing and then think like how could i gather questions to drill that and then try and drill it um, this could be something like, say, rule substitution questions, which are comparatively easy to drill. You just have to find a bunch of them. But it could also be something like, I don't know, a certain passage topic, or you are missing certain kinds of words in reading comps. You would gather some reading comp passages and like look for those words, or um, accept questions, which isn't even a question type, but like just do a bunch until it becomes obvious, or you make a system for it, or I don't know. Like, and those aren't even like the right kinds of things because those are things I can think of but you might think of like a thing that doesn't even have like a particular name but you're notice like oh this is a trend here so gather like the three questions that you found that makes it a trend and keep an eye out for others and make a drill set and then drill that well that was a great list Grim and one other thing I would add to it I'm not sure if it was on there but what it was abstract language 
like abstract language and logical reasoning answer choices. Mm-hmm. And so one drill I could imagine students doing for that is to take every question that involves abstract language and the answer choices and just define what each of those words and phrases mean. Like words like antecedent and consequent or subsidiary conclusions. Do you really understand what each of those things is and how it might manifest in an actual question? And look up the definitions of the words you don't, don't understand, but those things do tend to recur. Another oh, yeah. thing might be other okay. unfamiliar, just one last thing, one unf- uh, might be unfamiliar uh, question stems to use to describe classic question types. They've gotten really clever at principal application questions and flaw questions, making them seem unfamiliar, even though they're not asking anything new. Yeah, good points. I For abstract language, I especially recommend people look at flaw questions, where often people have like understood the flaw, but they can't make head or tail of the answers. And flaw answers repeat. So what you can do is just take a bunch of flaw answers, look at all of them. Like Steve said, look words up to see what they mean, but also think of like, what's an example of this flaw happening? As in, you know, if I say like uh, a flaw is they assume something that they're trying to prove, that would be, well, that's circular reasoning. So an example would be if I said, uh, this pen is blue because it is blue, which is like, it's not, it doesn't prove anything. And in fact, you can't even see the pen. So maybe it's not, but I'm just saying it's blue. Um, that's an example. Um, and on my more recent explanations, I generally write an example of the flaw to explain why a flaw answer is not correct. So you can use that to get an example, but thinking in terms of like, what would this actually look like if it happened is a good way to get practical about flaw abstract answer questions and start to recognize them on future tests so you can eliminate them. Yeah, I love it. Making it concrete, I think is really important. I thought one other thing we should make sure to cover today is, let's say we're two months out before June, some folks might be going for June, and then at some point, possibly in mid to late May, they might feel like they're not ready for June and they want to go for July instead, which is about six weeks later. So, and this happens a lot. People modify their plans in the middle, they withdraw or they postpone. And so I thought maybe let's say someone is going along with one of our study plans here, and they realize in that at that point in May, you know what, I want to switch gears and go for July instead. thought we should talk about some ways people could adjust. I think one thing that comes to mind for me at least is that gives you ch- time to do more full-length exams. So if you were only going to do six or eight exam- timed exams, now you have significantly a significantly longer timeline to do some more timed practice tests. And so I might recommend saving some of the newer exams if you haven't been, so maybe do only the even numbered ones or only the odd numbered ones in the 70s and 80s, so you still have some for next time. Then the other thing I'd be thinking about is lengthening the period of time that you have to devote to reviewing problem areas, maybe certain question types or certain conceptual things that you laid out earlier. What comes to mind for you, Graham, when we think about this? Um, for me, I guess in my plan, like not much changes actually, because if you're, the, the final weeks of it, are just sort of self-assessing and modifying based on what you're noticing. And that doesn't really change no matter how much time you have. If you were studying for 10 months, it would still be more or less the same process. Um, One thing you might consider is like, if there's a specific weakness, could I take like a course that focuses on that? Is there like maybe a section of a book I should read that focuses on that? Can I find some articles on this? Uh, Like, can I do more of a deep dive on a specific thing? Uh, You could seek out like a lesson with the tutor or 
whatnot. Like those are things to consider a study partner. Like basically if, I guess this depends if you've plateaued, if you've plateaued, then seeking a change in what you're doing is necessary. If you're still just making steady progress and you just need more time, then just keep doing what you're doing, which is changing always with time where you're self-assessing. But um, so yeah, plateau or not plateau changes whether or not you need to change. Because if you're making steady improvements, there's no need to switch it up. Yeah, agreed. I think that's that's pretty fair. And when I was thinking about creating my study plans where I, I created ones for all different periods of time, let's say I was going to, from a, a two-month plan to a three-month plan, what's the difference between them? The difference is that the three-month plan gives you more time for full-length exams and detailed reviews we discussed, but I also lengthened the periods of time for both accuracy and pacing as well. But if you're changing midstream from one test date to another, you obviously have already covered some of the accuracy portions. And so if you want to devote more time to the timed exams in the review process, that's great. But maybe there's also, maybe you had to rush through certain foundational portions because after all, eight weeks really isn't enough time to start from scratch as we discussed earlier. And so you might want to go back if certain like conditional reasoning questions and logical reasoning gave you trouble or maybe certain game types gave you trouble and you want to devote more time to them you can go back and do that now. You can go back and do more practice problems of the types that were giving you most trouble in order to just expand your baseline of understanding. Yeah. All right, so is there anything else about study plans or does that about cover it? I think that just about covers it. I think we might briefly want to touch on some of the differences between June and July for those who are considering one test date or the other. I know we discussed it previously, yeah, though. Yeah. I mean, July, so July LSAT, half of students get digital, half get paper and pencil. LSAC chooses for you. You don't get any advance notice. One benefit of July is that you get to see your score before canceling, but as we've discussed, it's not really a big deal. And June's the last paper and pencil exam that's going to be that way for everybody. Yeah. And uh, June is disclosed, July is not. That doesn't make a huge difference, but you get to see your exam if you take the June one. Um, obviously July gives you more time, which can be nice. As we've discussed, you know, you could take both. There's not really much of a downside to retaking that anyway. That's there, a I, very... think, I think that, I think the cool thing about those test dates being so close together, I'm actually not sure if that's, they've ever been quite that close before in the past. It's like a month and 12 days or something like that. So it's really, really close together. I think the benefit is that it's not that much more additional effort to do July as well, just because you got to keep yourself fresh for only five, six weeks more. Yeah. You could take a week off and then just keep going. Or, you know, if you're, if, again, if you're making steady progress, don't take the week off, just keep doing it. But if you were kind of stalled, take a week off, um, then study some more. And yeah, it's not that much more time, but you get two shots at it. Yeah. And you could maybe by random luck, like we said, you could get three points higher, which could make a huge difference in the end, as crazy as that is. All right, well, I guess we could leave off here for today. Um, Graham, you want to share the best way for folks to reach you? Sure. You can find me. My site is lsathacks.com. And if you want to reach out directly, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Graham underscore Blake. That's G-R-A-E-M-E underscore Blake. And I'm Steve Schwartz over at the LSAT blog. I also have the LSAT Unplugged YouTube channel and podcast. You can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash LSAT blog. All right, thanks for joining everybody. Till next time.